Lifetime Pass Master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Welcome back. There we go. Hey, we're back. Welcome back to another episode of Masonic Muscle. Before we get started, you know how I do it. I'm going to encourage all of my brethren from the East Coast to the West Coast. Because as I've been uh, told by another listener of ours that lives in New York, where it's snowing, he says, hey, we also have ciphers. We also have to do memory work. So get on our butts. So yes, with pleasure, brethren. Have you been studying your ciphers? And you know who you are. You're the officers who have an obligation uh, to the lodge. You've given your commitment, your word. And so now you're starting on the journey. Now you're going to begin to go through the chairs. So get to it. And you brothers who have been wanting to help with the, with the ritual, also get your cipher, get with somebody that knows the ritual work, and get started because it's not the most important part of Freemasonry, but when it's the degree night, it is the most important part. Have you been studying the EA Fellowcraft and Master Mason study materials that your Grand Lodge, your respective Grand Lodges put out? Have you signed up for any leadership courses that your Grand Lodge might be putting on or maybe even in your region? Have you been digging into the mysterious origins of Masonry? Because if you haven't, why not? That's one of the things we're supposed to be doing. Where do we come from? What does this all mean? Have you been improving your spiritual, moral, and Masonic trestle boards? Have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your fitness one degree at a time? This is Masonic muscle. We're not just strengthening our mental muscle and Masonic muscle, but also our physical muscle. Have you improved the quality of your nutrition? If not, why not? When would now be a good time to start? Now, without further ado, I'm going to get right to it. I have a very special guest today. And this is the second time we're doing it. Uh, through no fault of his, it is Worshipful Master Jamie Sterrett. He is out of Texas, Temple Lodge number 70 AF and AM, Grand Lodge of Te- Texas, District number 6. Worshipful Master, how are you today? I'm doing well, Brother Rubio. Thank you for having me hey, on. Hey, you sound good over there. We got it going now. So on our first go around, you told me some pretty interesting things, and you said that you've had masonry in your family for quite a long time. How long? I am the eighth generation Texan Mason. There were Masons before that, but I'm the eighth generation Texan. And not only that, but you said you you were part of organizations as a youth that were inspired by Masons themselves. 
Right. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout. I grew up much of my childhood was spent camping and, and growing and developing those leadership skills. Uh, scouting has a fraternity uh, that for older boys, older scouts called Order of the Arrow, which was created by two Freemasons and is essentially the Masonic ritual uh, with a Native American uh, flavor. Uh, and it was it was a very good leadership organization. Uh, then I was in a fraternity in college. And then after college, uh, what then? You know, what's next? Uh, there was a hole. And uh, all the men that I grew up in my life admiring, I found out that they were Freemasons. So that was the next logical step was joining the fraternity. Now, um, you, you mentioned uh, the university and uh, um, you didn't play any sports. Did you play any sports as a youth or anything uh, like that? Uh, competition sports were not my forte. <laughs> I am five, six and a hundred and something pounds. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> but I, I certainly enjoy, uh, you know, physical fitness. I, I most enjoyed sports where I was competing against myself. Right. So did, did you wrestle then or box or anything? Because that's really the one-on-one -on -one where, where you level the playing ground. No, mostly weightlifting. Oh yeah, powerlifting. Yeah, and yeah. The like, so you were a you were a weightlifter. You're probably you know dabbling in it again now and then. You know, just like a lot of us, we we get bitten by that bug, and we want to keep going. You know, the the competition bug, and then hopefully it'll trickle over into other areas of your life that'll help us succeed. So that's kind of what I'm seeing here, or I'm sensing from you, where you just want to keep succeeding because, you know, it's it's uh, part of our makeup. Right. You feel that fire. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I, I you know, I, I began some of this podcast um, to try and correlate the, the two. Now, the, the real question is, why did you start your Masonic journey? We kind of got into it right now. You, you kind of mentioned it, but put it together in your own words. Right. So. I, I started my Masonic journey, as I said, because many of the, the Masons or the men that I knew growing up, including the men in my family, were all Masons. And as soon as I figured out that they were, they were very quiet about it. But as soon as I figured out that they were and how active they were in their local lodges, I wanted to be like them and I wanted to be like that. And it, as I said, there was that missing part of my life uh, that, I, that I wanted to fill. It was very... It was exactly what I was looking for. Uh, my my best friend, uh, Lance Candler, uh, sort of joined a year before me. And we had been friends from undergrad and we were still friends in graduate school. And he said, you are going to love this organization so much. You have to be a part of it. And then I have a really special candidate experience because Lance, as a newer Mason, worked very hard to be able to teach me all my work and confer all my degrees. And it was the first time he'd ever done that. And it was like a year or two after he'd been a Mason, he did that for me. And then we just talked about Freemasonry every single day and haven't stopped since. <laughs> um, so when you guys talk about Freemasonry, what are some of the favorite topics about Freemasonry that you guys like to talk about? It really runs the gamut. We talk about everything from lodge administration to uh, the esoterics, to whatever we're reading at the time, mm -hmm. to uh, you know what what happened at this meeting, what happened at that meeting. We I really can't pinpoint one single area because, as I said, we talk every day. Yeah, and especially you know you being worshipful master, and uh, having gone, I imagine you've gone through quite a number of chairs before you re, you know reach the east. So naturally, your a lot of your focus has to go to the administrative 
aspect because that's just what's called upon the person going through those chairs, right? And then ultimately, you're ultimately in charge. If you finally make it to the East, you're ultimately in charge of how the lodge is going to run. So there's a lot of uh, responsibilities on your shoulders. So the administrative aspect, which a lot of Masons get turned off by, you know, they, they, they just don't like it. But at the same time, they don't understand that it's, I don't like to say it's a necessary evil anymore. I used to, uh, but it's a necessary part of our journey. Right. Well, I see potential. I, uh, you know, in my, in my usual vocation, that is what I do. I go into a, a group that is struggling and I see potential and I fix it. I am a, an improver a culture changer, if you will. I've been doing that for a number of years in my profession. And so it's natural for me to see that same thing in masonry and apply it there. Uh, so when I'm talking about lodge administration, I'm talking about I'm talking about paying the bills, yes, but I'm also talking about creating a culture, like changing it to something better and, and establishing more habits uh, that lead to sort of a culture of positive tradition. So when I say lodge administration, I'm I'm certainly talking about more than the minutes and the treasurer's report. Yeah, no, um, what you're talking about more is um, vision, the, I would say. The, the vision, the mission, the um, uh, trying to bring out the leadership qualities that we all have within us. Uh, and some of us can't lead outright you know, for whatever reason, but you can lead in your own way from the sidelines, from in whatever area you're going to try to help the lodge you're, you're becoming a leader so you're exactly. talking about that kind of yeah we know we got to pay the bill you know i always say it all the time when it push comes to shove uh, in a nobody joined the lodge nobody joined freemasonry so we can go pay bills nobody did that and you know it's a part of our uh, program but ultimately we go there to learn something profound that'll change us that'll help us become that better man so I, get right. you. I had I had brother uh, Justin Jones from Masonic Improvement yeah, at my brother. lodge as a guest speaker uh, on Thursday. That was and him. That I saw the yeah the post. Yeah. 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 Yes. And and that's you know he's I've been listening to him for several years also, and that's one of the things that that resonated with me since he said it in the very beginning is why ritual. If if Freemasonry is just to come together and pay the bills and do such and such and and make sure we're running an organization, then why do the degrees at all? Just come and meet and then leave. It's obvious from the outset that there is another purpose to Freemasonry, and that purpose is the betterment of oneself and the world we live in. Yeah, and if you look at older records from uh, 1717, 1723, when Anderson's Constitutions came out and the Grand Lodge was formed, you look at those older records in the minutes of those lodges, those members, the lodges were five members, mm -hmm. 12 members, and there, there wasn't a whole lot of, and, and this guy became master, and then the next year another. You know, they were in their chairs for extended periods of time. So it wasn't about training them to be the next master. Something else was going on, or to pay the bills, pay your dues. No, something else was going on, which lends to what you're saying. So, yeah, it doesn't take long to realize, no, so we're not here just to pay bills. We, we're supposed to be doing something different. So speaking of uh, Justin Jones and Dennis Yates, a shout out to Masonic Improvement. Yeah, and, and I had a quite an extensive conversation with Justin Jones and Dennis Yates. You know, Dennis, he, he gets on a good one and, you know, he, he just can't stop. He's on a roll. So, As we uh, say in Texas, bless his heart. It bless his 
He's a good guy. Justin kept saying that. Yeah. So, and, and you know, yeah, I get a kick out of him. He's got a lot of uh, uh, energy and it's just bubbling out of him. And that's what you need. Um, but but uh, pace yourself, Dennis. Pace yourself. So you mentioned that uh, Masonic podcast. And obviously there's a bunch of other podcasts. And when you ask anybody, hey, do you listen to Masonic podcasts? Yeah. And then you ask them, but they, they, you find out that they listen to other podcasts as well, not just Masonic. What do you listen to? And why? Just right, a few. So, go ahead. Just a few. Oh, yeah. So I listened to, I started out listening to the Masonic Roundtable. I've heard quite a few episodes on that. I liked it because it was discussion-based, and they would often let the conversation go, you know, and, and it would lead to some really interesting places, some things that I hadn't thought of. Uh, outside of the Masonic lens, I don't do a lot of listening to uh, other podcasts, but I do uh, like the podcast Leadership to Wealth. Yeah, uh, they they it, it says leadership to wealth, but and it's it's technically a podcast about real estate. But I find more often than not, they're really talking about leadership and habits that build leadership uh, centered sometimes around real estate and wealth building. Well, it's it's more to do with the philosophy that Dan Pena talks about, where he talks about, you know, you guys got this thing backwards where you guys want to change the world and then make a, a ton of money where. It's it's the other way around. You got to make a ton of money. Then you can go and change the world. But all of that starts with your emotional bank account. We all have two bank accounts, a financial bank account and an emotional bank account. And if you don't tend to your financial bank account first and get that straight, you're never going to achieve the financial wealth or you know success that you want to achieve. So it's not so much about the money. It's It's about the internal part of us that struggles you know we all struggle which is why a lot of us end up joining freemasonry right because we're we're struggling with something and we think we're going to find the answer there and then later on you find out wait a minute i always had the answer i didn't need to come here but now that i'm here let me share it with the brethren let me share it with whoever i can so uh, yeah i i understand what you're saying because that's a very important distinction that has to be made so that's very good that that you're you're on that line and and you you have made that distinction clearly. Um. So on the podcast trip, you know what? Why did you start listening to Masonic Muscle, and uh, how has it, how it has this helped you on your journey? I started listening to Masonic Muscle uh, shortly after I started listening to Masonic Improvement. So yeah, like right around in the same time. Oh yeah. And and I must say that I'm a a longtime listener, first time caller. Yeah. You know, to Thank Masonic you. Muscle. Uh, yeah. I was really attracted to your podcast uh, because you were the first one that I heard of that was trying to take Masonic principles and sort of apply them to daily habits, like a certain area of your life, like physical fitness. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of Masonic podcasts that talk about esotericism and broadening the mind and broadening the spirit. And there's certainly a very good uh, Masonic podcast called Historical Light, which uh, one I of the Texas brothers is oh, on. Yeah. Uh, and, and which delves into, you know, history and, and sort of learning, um, but you were the first one that, yeah, was actually taking Masonic principles and applying them to something like physical fitness. And I really latched on to that. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people say that uh, it, it just like a, a couple of my brethren uh, at Lodge that began to listen to it. You know, they had a very similar reaction to yours. And uh, were like, why? You know, because I'm just talking. I'm just on the mic and I just begin to just, you know, blurt stuff out. 
that uh, I've been thinking about. But a lot of it has to do, too, with my best friend uh, that I mentioned, Darkness. Um, we didn't work out today. I'll be working out with him on, on Thursday. But um, some of it was inspired because of him, like you've heard before, because he was the one making some correlations that not even I was making. And he's not even a brother. He's not even a Mason. And so I was like, what? Like, you know what? You're right. Once I started thinking about it, and he was absolutely right, right? In, in, in your garage gym is where we build up our temple, our physical body, and using the tools that we're given. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, seeing the, the correlation and, and the uh, effort to try and bring these two worlds together, right? As above, so below. So you having been master of the lodge for the first time, there's always things that are unforeseen. So I want to ask you, what have been some of the challenges of being a master so far? And how did it differ from what you thought it would be? Well, you know, the challenges of being a master, much like any type of other volunteer organization that, you, that you're that you in, uh, except for that Masons are better people than your average person, <laughs> I have found. Uh, you know, so the general struggles of... Uh, you know, finding people to agree to take on work and then getting them to commit to doing the work is one thing. And then getting people there. There are many, many friendly Masons who have the most sincere uh, uh, desire to help you uh, and then lack follow through at certain times. And, you know, that's just with any volunteer organization. So there there are some challenges there, but those have been really minimal, although they, they do happen. I, I sort of took a, a different approach to being master. You know, I, I took my time. I had several times to jump chairs or advance and I chose not to because I wanted those years to plan. I wanted those years to build relationships and learn how the local lodge does it because uh, I had moved into this lodge. It wasn't the one I was raised in. And so that was very important to me. I really took those years in the chairs to plan for things and really, really start to develop a vision and a mission with sort of a team in place, not just me. Yep. And I, I think that really did me a good service as, as I'm most of the way through my term now. Uh, that's a, that's a key, uh, that's a key point uh, because my first go around as master in 2010, 2011, um, we had a lot more uh, members of the lodge and a lot more, uh, which you volunteerism because there was a lot more members, but there wasn't that what you're talking about because that takes time and effort. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing it and if you're not getting the buy-in and the commitment from the people necessary in order to realize a lot of that vision, uh, you're going to have a lukewarm year. You're going to have an average year. So the second time around starting in 2017, 2018, 2019, cause I served three consecutive years um, that was in place, but you know what? Developing a plan, developing a vision, a mission, uh, and the, developing a the mentality of where our backs are against the wall, we're going to win or die. Trying to get that instilled into a group of volunteers was the biggest challenge. But once they adapted and they accepted it, success began to just come right. naturally from that. And I will say, as I said, I moved into this area from my vocation and I sort of shopped for lodges to go to yeah. and join. And that was one of the reasons that led me to Temple Lodge number 70 uh, was because, you know, everywhere you go, there's the naysayers. And I did not find that here. 
uh, the second that I, I joined Temple Lodge number 70, they were encouraging and they wanted to do whatever you wanted to do. They wanted to try it. There was, and, and they're still that way. They're still that way, even though I'm in charge, which I can't believe. <laughs> uh, they're still that way. And, and it really helps. You, you've got to find, you can lead, but they've got to want to be led. And they've, you've got to instill in them the, the vision for what you have. And then they've got to adopt the vision. Because if they don't adopt the vision, then nothing is going to happen. You're just going to keep hitting stop signs all the way through. And I haven't found that to be the case uh, because of the strong relationships and such positivity that was floating around my lodge before I got there. Um, what, what you speak to, uh, I know very well, because one of the, uh, things that we, that we use, one of the books that we use was called the, the craft driven lodge by Daniel Vrinko, I think is his name is, and he has four principles in there that were crucial to achieving something that you just said. You know, if the, if your workers don't, don't adopt the vision, then nothing's going to happen. So I think, and I'm going to probably butcher it, but I think one of the four are, is, um, everyone has a voice. Um, the, the leaders let the workers work. Everyone, you know, it's just, it's so simple when you read it, but the Masonic system isn't structured like that. So you have to, you have to tweak it. And, but, and once the rest see it, it, you know the, the the river just begins to flow you unclog it and creativity just abound now now they understand hey what about this what about that hey if it fits into the vision that we're doing you don't need my permission anymore just do it tell us what you did later on report that way we can report to everybody so that's very crucial that, that what you said right and this it go i i it, i should go on to say that you have to have certain things in place for what you just described to happen and that's why it was so important for me to take that time to encourage certain administrative things to happen uh, so that you don't get bogged down because there are so many lodges who are operating on sort of a sustenance level and that's all they know. And it, if you don't have those administrative things taken care of, it, nothing else can happen. You just sort of get bogged down and that's all you can do. And so I, we, I, I say I, but I mean, we, we, the leadership team had spent all that time, you know, over those couple of years, sort of clearing and cleaning that up with, with the rest of the brethren, you know, and we all got on one mind and I got to say that it, what we're doing now and what we, what we have done in recent years would not have been able to happen if, if that wasn't already in place. Um. Let's switch gears up a little bit. Let's, let's switch it up. When it comes to Freemasonry, we, we often miss a, a golden opportunity uh, to deepen our understanding of, of the craft by delving into something like the mysterious origins of Freemasonry, uh, something that I'm now really beginning to f delve into a, in a more consistent uh, uh, way. Why do you think that Masons just don't dig deep into when it comes to this topic of the mysterious origins, where we came from, what this is all about. What, what's your take on that? Man, I think that the reason why we don't see more Masons delving into this is because there's just so much to learn. There's just so much to do. From the, from the time that you become a Mason, it's like drinking from a fire hose. 
You know, you've got your catechism and you've got your lessons and you've got your esoterics and you've got your ritual. And then you have to learn about the government of Freemasons, uh, how your Grand Lodge system works, how your lodge system works. And then if you're inspired by all of that, then there's literature. There's so many books and so much reading uh, that you can do. Um, and so I think that there's so much to do, you know, uh, oftentimes guys don't make it to the speculation of, of the origins of Freemasonry, uh, but they're really missing out, I should say. Uh, and don't you find that odd? You know, this is why I'm beginning to ask more and more people, because that right there is a very valid answer. What you just said rings true to me. That is true. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. And by the way, a lot of what he just uh, delineated itemized when done correctly is very interesting even how grand lodge works and some of this uh the, the government of freemasonry and and because at times uh the lodge will will act like a republic at other times it acts like a democracy and then at other times a dictatorship so how we flow seamlessly through these different forms of government is 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 mind-boggling but if you get a good teacher that'll teach you about that. It's it, it for me. It was I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. This, this right. is pretty cool. This is incredible that we have these tools. We're being taught how to be citizens, basically, you know, and and govern uh, our not only ourselves but you know, small group of people that we can take those lessons back out into the community and and improve the community. So, but going back to your point, you're absolutely right. This is. Part of the reason, maybe the major reason why all of a sudden we just don't have time to delve into the mysterious origins of Freemasonry and speculate. You know, it could be that just that simple. All right. I, I do want to talk to you. I, I, since I've heard your origins uh, podcast in many episodes, I did <laughs> want to ask if you'd yes. heard of Dr. Christopher Earnshaw and his book a series, a spiritual Freemasonry series. Uh, have you heard of him? I had him on the podcast. Hell yeah, I heard of him. Oh, great. Yeah, great, the Chinese, great. the Chinese origins of Freemasonry. Yes. Right. Yes. I um one of the things I asked him was, was there secret societies in China? And he said yes, but um maybe it was because of the way the conversation was going, was flowing, that he kind of got distracted. But he never really answered the question as to what other secret societies were out there that we could have. Because, you know, we started talking about Confucius because Confucius used the, you know, the square and, and, and this as mor morality and a lot of Masonic, you know, symbolism that Confucius was talking about. But yes, I've got two or three of his books in my in my library. And I am going to be getting into that a little bit more as I delve into the right now I'm delving into the 12 uh, theories of the origins of Freemasonry, and right now I'm barely on number two, which is the, the the pagan mysteries, right? That Freemasonry derives from the pagan mysteries, meaning pagan, meaning anybody who wasn't converted to Catholicism was a pagan. That, that's how they, that's how they, uh, uh, what do you call it? Separated them from from the Catholic uh, communities, and they're like, oh, they, those are just the hill people; they haven't been converted yet. And they live according to how how they live. So I'm, I'm, I'm barely on part two. And I think I'm going to be getting into quite a number of parts on that because the pagan mysteries have so much meat in there. So, mm. so mm. much. If you can just get past the word pagan, 
understand where that word comes from, and then finally begin to really focus on what these mystery schools and where they were at and what they were possibly being taught. And, you know, all like the major philosophers of the time, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they all went there and they all got initiated and they were forbidden to talk about it. Incredible. Incredible. So is there some kind of correlation with Freemasonry? That's not my part in that. That's not for me to say. I'm just going to bring it to the audience and say, look, this is what I'm I'm finding out. Here you go. So you don't have to sit down and read for hours and hours. I want to do a lot of that for you guys. So you can you guys can get your meat and uh, and eat it. Right. So, yeah. So, yes, Christopher Earnshaw. Yes. And I'm thinking of having them back, like I said, when it gets to when I get to the Chinese part again. So, yes. Uh, great question. Uh, thank you. Um, I have something for you. I didn't ask this to to Justin or Dennis when I when I was on their podcast. So what kind of uh, Masonic education programs does does Texas have? Uh, Grand Lodge, do they? Oh, yes. Uh, so the, the Grand Lodge, uh, actually what you might call the Warden's Retreat. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Masters and Warden's Retreat, yes. Like that was adopted uh, in Texas. And then a few years ago, so we've had that for a number of years. A few years ago, they, they revamped that whole thing uh, and turned it into what they now call officer leadership training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, they've actually added several classes this year. Uh, Dennis Yates is involved with that. So that's what uh, they were talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that's sort of what you might call the Warden's Retreat like they have in California. But it's based off of the California system. Um, but uh, we, of course, it's Texas. So we put our own spin on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so that's that's designed for people who are going to be wardens or going to be a uh, master. And they also now have a one day class uh, for sort of uh masons just master masons that's like a a one day thing but what about like for like let's just say you just got initiated here right. in california you're you're given a uh inner apprentice guidebook and it's about 30 right. pages it's got some questions and answers in the back really well done do you guys offer something like that as well oh yes absolutely um our masonic education committee uh, has like we we have what's called the Texas Lodge System of Candidate Information, the TSCI. It's four uh, booklets and one for the for the mentor. It's designed to be given to the candidate, and then the entered apprentice, fellow craft, and master. So you you actually give one uh, to the to the candidate after he's been elected. He gets a booklet then, um, and then he gets a booklet that he's supposed to go over with his mentor uh, at, at each other stage of the process. So as well as, as I should say, as well as like administrative information on how the craft work works, it also delves in, delves into the explanations of the degree and sort of some esoteric topics and some some suggestions for further reading. Uh, and that is an extremely uh, well done series of books. I've taken several candidates through that and they they just really enjoyed that that part of the process. It fills in a lot of gaps. Um. Yeah, our our little booklets, like what you're talking about, they're they're about thirty to forty pages, depending, depending front and back, right? So it's this little booklet, little pamphlet like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what I was what I was really impressed about is what you just said. They're very well done, very well thought out, and if done correctly with your candidate, it not only does it fill in, yeah, it fills in gaps. It it fills in gaps nicely, um, but you can extend uh of course th- that education 
for for years in in the 30 the, you know so i tell i always tell the, those candidates don't don't be fooled by the apparent simplicity of this little how small it looks and like oh, i'm gonna <laughs> right. i'm gonna read through this in 10 minutes you know and where are the secrets no no it's not meant to do that. it's meant to it's it's concealing right underneath your nose a lot of secrets in that little booklet Right. And I should say that Texas is very specific uh, that these books are not to just be handed to the guy. Right. This is something that you and your mentor and you, you and your teacher go over together and you're supposed to have it's discussion led. Right. Yes. So it's supposed to spark discussion between you and your mentor as you progress through the degrees. Now, you had a few questions. I don't know if you wrote them down, but you said you wanted there was a number of things uh, you wanted to discuss. Um, you already discussed one of them. You were talking about, uh, changing the lodge culture. And that's a big one. That's a big one because if you don't have the right tools, I don't know how you're going to do it. Right. Uh, you know, and, and the buy-in from, from certain members of your lodge, um, officers, they have to understand what you're trying to get after and why and what that because when it doesn't happen like that the immediate knee-jerk question from the person not wanting to do any have any part of it is like what does this have to do with masonry you know something like that and so now you have to be prepared to be able to explain to them this is why you know we're going to change the culture um do you have any stories of what the culture was like at your lodge before you got there? And what about the lodge that you came from? Uh, yes. Uh, so so the lodge that I, when I got there, I, I'm very fond of saying that it was sort of a country country lodge uh, yeah. full of really nice masons, and it still is. <laughs> <laughs> it still is. Uh, but now there's so much extra Right. Uh, so one of the things that was that was very important to me uh, and as I moved in and it wasn't really happening uh, was sort of Masonic education. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I immediately volunteered to be the lodge education officer, which is like an unofficial position. Right. Yeah. And, and we just started making it happen. You know, Masonic education at every meeting, no exceptions, no doubts. And so many people got value out of that so many people started coming to the meetings from other other lodges and visiting and seeing what was going on and i i built upon that and inspired other brothers to continue building upon that uh so that we have that kind of thing you know and that kind of culture where it's, it's come to be expected that there will be a speaker you know at every meeting and actual learning and discussion will take place after the business is done and you know trying to limit the business and and other things like that is is really important uh, we we increased our expectations of what quality was, uh, quality ritual, quality food, quality uh, building. We made many improvements to our, our temple over the few years, and it has really served uh, to be impressive to, to us and to visitors that come and visit. And that, that took a lot of, of work, but as I said, there has to be that commitment of vision and that commitment of positivity and you know you can't be afraid to spend money and try new things or or you're going to have the same thing that's going on that you've had going on for the past 20 years yeah you're just going to have more of the same you know? right so right and and the areas that you hit is basically um when you want to change a culture 
of of an organization, but we're talking about a lodge here. Yeah. Well, well, what's going on in a lodge? Well, a stated meeting. So you have to change the culture of that. What what does that mean? At our lodge, we dwindled it down thanks to the uh, we we created an executive committee, and we would invite the hall president, right, the temple board president, and and any other number of brethren that we thought uh, are beginning to show signs that they want to be a leader. And so they're going to need to know this aspect. So that eliminated all the extracurricular uh, stuff for state of meeting. So now state of meeting happens, 10 minutes, we're done. Mm-hmm. Done. The next, the, the next order of business was um, uh, Masonic education. Someone would present a topic. It was maybe two minutes, three minutes. After that, open for discussion, like in a Socratic style. And you didn't have to get up and give a sign. You know, the, that formality was was say hey you don't have to get up brother you don't have to sign just free flow just raise your hand so we can keep track and that created such good you, you know uh uh a good just such a good impression on the brethren visiting brethren and we let them know your time is important our time is important let's use it to the maximum and then let's go fellowship right afterward because that's the important meeting right there all right and sorry i'm sorry to cut you off go ahead uh, one of the things that that was brought to me uh, from from our sort of leadership team, uh, it kind of got from Andrew Hammer's book, uh, Observing the Craft. Oh hell yeah! Uh, Eight and, steps of and, excellence. Yes. Yeah, and so that was that was that you know festive boards as being a traditionally after the meeting yep. because that's when the discussion of masonry takes place, and so we sort of uh, mirrored that East Texas style as much as we could. We started having dessert after the meeting. Well, everybody sticks around for dessert, right? Yes, sir. And so if you have Masonic education happening at, at near the end of the meeting and it takes up a majority of it, then that's all anybody wants to talk about, you know? And so it, it sort of turned into that's the standard now. And that's that's what you want when you're really changing a culture. And it wasn't, isn't it crazy? Like for our lodge, it took a little while for, for members to get used to that. It, it mm-hmm. did. They were so used to um, the way it was done before where we would have members when the gavel would sound after the state of meeting was over, we would have members literally already with their aprons off, putting it aside or taking them with them and out the door where we would have to go, not run after them literally, but almost like, brother, brother, come on back. You know, let, let's fellowship a little bit. You know, we're, we're not done yet. And, you know, looking at you all weird. That's, that's the culture of the past. It, it, looking at you weird because like, what can possibly be happening after that was it that was the state of meeting no the best part is about to happen right we, we still have some leftover food we still have some you know appetizers let's let's go uh you know let's go fellowship nice music in the background you know ambience is nice so so it's a changing of a culture state of meeting how businesses run how the degrees are run yes very important they have to be meaningful they have to be well done how are you going to celebrate them afterward are you just going to Give them a cupcake, and there you go. Congratulations, you're a new EA. See you next week. You're going to be a junior deacon now. It, it, no, no, you know you got you got to give them more, uh, and then the presentation of their study materials, like what you're saying. So, what else did you guys do? I mean, you covered four areas: building, ritual, Masonic education, and uh, adopting some of what Andrew Hammer said, which is crucial. Right, and and uh, administration was the other one. We sort of that's been a multi-year approach, uh, of course. Uh, so this year, 
uh, one of the things that I did in my term uh, as Worshipful Master that I, I am intending on uh, continuing on after me is that we had two, uh, we're going to have two, we've already had one, Feast of St. John, yes, uh, which is essentially a harmony, you know, or a festive board. Uh, and I, it was very important to our leadership team when we first started discussing this, that we get as much local buy-in as possible, because in Texas, Texas is a big state, right? Like California. I mean, you can travel to a festive board and you get that nice experience, but Joe East Texas is not going to get in his car and drive <laughs> to Dallas to right. go to a festive board and have a fancy dinner and come back. So we wanted to create this, you know, not as a lodge fundraiser, uh, not as anything other than a festive board where we came together. And so we came together uh, to celebrate the, the uh, Feast of St. John the Evangelist on December the 27th. And we had a harmony and we had nice. a guest speaker and it was suits and quality food. And, uh, you know, we did some Masonic toasts uh, in Texas. There's no alcohol. So we did the toast with tea, <laughs> but it was, it was, and we had a Masonic education speaker and it was, it was fantastic. And we plan on having, it was so well received. I cannot tell you, it was so well received uh, that people came up to me for a week after uh, in my small little area of East Texas and was asking us when we were going to have the next one. I said, well, you got to wait to the other St. John's Day, uh, June the 24th. So on June the 24th, we're planning on repeating that. And hopefully that will turn into an annual event. And I have every hope that it will. Yeah, there's others um, uh, here in California, up and down the state. There's a lot of those. And their main, besides installation, their, their two main events is the Holy Saints John Feast whether it's Baptist or evangelist, and it's so well done, you know, that they're announcing it three months in advance. They make your right. reservations, right? And then, and then what it's going to entail. And it, I think right now they're up to like $80 per person because of what you get. You get the little shot glasses, you get the, uh, whatever it is, but it right. and tie, you know, a black tie event, you know, it's very formal because why? Because that's something that we thought we, we were going to get when we joined. And exactly. when it didn't happen, it was a letdown. You know, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, wait, but so now that, so what happens, we're the ones who are instituting it now. We're that right. generation. And, right. And in, in Texas, we sort of see, uh, you know, much like you described in, in California several years ago, we're sort of seeing a Masonic renaissance in Texas. Uh, there are many, many young brothers uh, getting on fire about masonry and sort of creating these style of events all around the state. Uh, they're happening more and more frequently, and you, you start to see the habits that you're describing all around Texas. It was important to me to bring the local flavor, you know, to bring it to East Texas, you know, and so that was one of the reasons why we decided not to charge admission. You know, we're just going to have a nice dinner, and it's going to be a harmony, and we're going to introduce the brothers of our area to that type of Masonic event at, at the lodge expense because we see the value in that type of an event. And a, and a lot of lodges that are, you know, observing lodges, or they pay and they, they charge $500,000 in dues because of that, because that's going to be part of your experience. Two times out of the year, you're going to have this experience, and that's part of your dues. You know, so, so the lodge is already self-sustaining itself, and it's giving value. You know, I like to say, where value is clear, the decisions are easy. So if you're giving your your brethren value at lodge, the decision is going to be so simple for them to come and keep coming back and then invite right. others. 
So right. you have to keep that in mind. And, and brethren, yeah, you know, for those of you who are saying, well, that sounds like hard work. It is. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. At the exactly. very end, it's going to be worth it. And you're going to, just like you said, you know, you have brothers coming to you time and time again. Time, when's the next one? When's the next one? We had something called the, a man cave, man cave night. And man cave night is something very simple. All we did was ask uh, the brethren and some prospective members uh, that we had already contacted and were in communication with on a certain day, bring your favorite piece of steak. We will grill it for you and some veggies. All right. And we will use no forks. No forks will be given all night. Right. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, I don't know what it was. It was such a big hit that these guys were begging me. When, when are we going to have the next? Please have another one. That was so great. But why is it? Because that's what they thought right. they were going to experience when they first joined. And even the ones that, didn't, that weren't members yet, they loved it. They didn't know what the hell, but they loved it. So that was pretty. Now, I want to ask you, um, because you say, you say here that you're a musician and an educator, by by vocation um you say you know it, the, the the necessity the necessity of masonry in, in your life and the the triad of the spiritual mental and physical endeavors yeah so you're talking about like pythagoras pythagoras and the you know music of the spheres and what so what, what to you what what are you referring to Yeah. So I, I'm referring to basically essentially what you talk about in your podcast, you know, the three pillars Mm -hmm. of, uh, physical, spiritual, and mental, you know? And, and so I, I have always tried to develop myself in that way. I I forget. I I think I had a junior high coach who said something like that, big, bigger, faster, stronger. Yes. You know, you hear that all the time. And I thought, well, that's not enough. It doesn't matter if you're bigger, faster, stronger, if you're too stupid to go to the left when you're supposed to go to the left. <laughs> you have, that's not enough. You have to be more, you know. And so I, I sort of took that uh, junior high coach idea, you know, and applied it to what I thought a grown man was supposed to be, you know, spiritual, mental, physical. And so, you know, oftentimes these these things in, in my musical life, you know, I'm a, as I said, I'm a classical musician. Uh, I, have, I have a a degree in, in saxophone performance. And so when, when you're practicing, it's the same as when you're working out, you do the same things. You try to minimize mistakes. You try to increase efficiency over a shortened amount of time. Uh, you, you practice getting better. It's not enough to stay at the same level, you know, and, and, and then on top of that, there is a certain artistry that goes with it, right? You must make music. You can't be a computer even though there's arguably a computer that could make music, it wouldn't be the same, right? <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be the same. You must emote, like there's an emotion there. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's how I try to develop myself and masonry just kind of slid, you know, right on into that. It's It develops the mind, it develops the spirit. And then when I started listening to you, it develops the body. Uh, and right now, as you were saying that, I couldn't help but think hey, that's what we're supposed to be doing in a lodge. We're supposed to be improving. It's not enough that, 
oh, I memorized my lines. Like, no, you got to keep, you got to keep practicing them so that you make them yours now. So this resonates, and and the person can feel those vibes, right? But mm-hmm. we're we're constantly attuning ourselves to whatever it is at the lodge. So like the lodge is a musical instrument, uh, so to speak. Then we got to tune that thing up all the time. Otherwise, it's gonna you know, get dusty, it's going to be out of whack and it's not going to sound good when you play it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, especially for as an educator and then you you get confronted with the second degree in, in masonry and that one is huge as far as, you know, a formal education, a, a liberal education, right? Seven liberal arts and sciences. And so this carries over into what you're, into what you're, uh, how you're practicing Freemasonry in your own unique way within the confines of Texas Grand Lodge masonry, right? Because that's that's basically uh, uh, how you've been doing it. Are you thinking? Are you guys thinking of uh, serving another year in your stations? You guys, you guys have your progressive line going. You guys are 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 set. Your plans are are good to go. Oh yeah. Um. So in, in Texas, mostly everybody does one year terms. Uh, it's not the habit of most Texans masons to take more than one year as their term. Uh, so yeah, every, everything's in motion. Yeah, in uh, in California too. Um, even in our Masonic code, they talk about a progressive line. But what's been happening here, especially since, I I don't know. Well, Andrew Hammer had a lot to do with it. When his book came out, yeah, it really forced a lot of Masons to really take a step back and observe why we're doing what we're doing. And a lot of it had to do with the progressive line of officers and do they have to keep progressing? Mm-hmm. Because there was a bunch of brothers that were not ready to, mm-hmm. to advance. And if they weren't, they need another year in their station so they can learn what they got to do. Mm-hmm. And also, not only that, Sometimes that person is just not ready to lead other men. Exactly. It's got nothing to do with his ritual work. It's got to do with his leadership. Will they follow him? Exactly. You know, there's a lot of discussion right now about progressive lines and do they work and do they not work? And should we go to a more an elected way, you know, and, and sort of the Freemasonry in Texas has sort of a blend, you know, it's an election but there is also somewhat of an expectation of a progressive line. I think both systems can work. You just have to commit to doing both of them correctly. Well, Andrew Hammer and, speaks to that in his book. He right. says that he says there should be no problem with the progressive line if everybody is proficient and ready and ha- has uh, learned the lessons. But if not, you need to start taking a look at that and, and uh, holding people to account and making them commit until they're ready. Exactly. Also, I think it, there's something to be said for if you have a good leader, one term is not enough for right. some people. Yeah. You know, yeah. even the president of the United States gets more than a one year term uh, because he spends so long planning <laughs> for his term. Yeah. And, you know, if, if if you look at the progressive line and let's say you start as, uh, you know, a steward or something like that, you have six, maybe seven years to plan your term, your one year, one 10 or 11 month term as worshipful master. Right. Uh I know that I've felt uh, there have been several grandmasters in this in the Grand Lodge of Texas uh, that I felt, man, you would have been great for like two more terms. You could have really saw your vision come to fruition. Right, right. You know, and what we see is 
you know, in many grand lodges, what we see is you, you know, you have a grand master serve his term, and then the next grand master serves his term and does his program, and the next grand master serves his term and does his program. There's no and continuity across purposes, but they yeah. just don't have the time to get their stuff done. Yeah. Yeah, there's no continuity of any kind of plan that way. There, so so Freemasonry at that point doesn't know where it's going. It's like a rudderless ship. It's just going wherever the wind takes it, basically, which is cause as to why a lot of Grand Lodges are beginning to really take a hard look at the progressive line and say, hey, you know, like in our Masters and Wardens retreats, in the in the booklets that we're given, uh, that we're given to study, it clearly says right there to how to go about doing that. What time of kind time commitment, you know, you should be looking for, um, and if someone is not ready, then then the people in front should be willing to stay in that chair for as long as it takes until the people underneath them are ready to advance. Right. You know, that's right. part of our obligation and our part of our responsibility. But um, for many years, because Freemasonry was working the way it was working, it was hard to get other brothers to understand that they're like, "No, what are you talking about?" I did my year, and next year I'm doing that chair. That they already had that, that that plan, you know. So the, trying to get them off of that plan was was very difficult and very interesting to see people's reactions to, to holding them like to a higher standard now. Like, what are you talking about? I gotta serve another year. One year is all I got. Like, what are you talking about? Dude? You're barely senior deacon. Like, what are you talking about? So anyhow, yeah, it could very well be that there's merits and demerits to both systems. Um, I'm not exactly sold on, on either or if I had to right now, if you, if you told me, well, which one would you, which one would you choose between, you know, uh, the, the progressive line started like at junior warden and then to senior war uh, to master, how, how many years should they stay in each chair? I say at least two, mm. at least two, because by the time that junior warden, becomes master six years later he should be so well educated and trained that the content and the continuity of the lodge will 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 have been established right and if done in a correct way like the you know culture that you're you're talking about uh building uh, it, it'll just benefit the lodge i mean right I, I will be a little bit more political with my answer and say whatever system uh, you go with uh, the right system is the system that's effective. Well, you know, so so if you have a you know progressive line and you have strict mentoring and you have strict milestones that go along with the progressive line, I see no problem with it. You know, if you have a truly like a true meritocracy where brothers are elected based solely on their merit and they serve time uh, and until they or the lodge decides that's no longer the case, I see validity yeah. to that as well. You know, whatever, and it just comes down to the direction and the vision that you see at your lodge that you can all agree on. It can't be just one person. It can't be just one officer. It has to be a collective team effort, and they have to share in that vision. Yeah, the collective, and, and something that you just said right now, that, that's a big, that's probably the biggest stumbling block of, of any of these uh, uh, discussions, and that is, it's it's clear what it says in, in Anderson's Constitution, by merit alone. And if you just look at any lodge and begin to dig deep enough, you'll find right away that a lot of those brothers aren't there by merit alone. They're there because they're the only ones left and there's nobody else. So when you apply that uh, logic and reasoning to this discussion, a lot of those other arguments are just 
they're, they're just, you got to put them aside because first of all, you know, there's no merit here. And even mm -hmm. us going through the degrees, you got to do it by merit. It's not just rote memory. And so, you know, what is, what is the merit? The merit, you know, it's the hard work. The brothers see that you're committed, that you got discipline, you know, that you, that your heart is into it. You know, there's a, there's a lot that, that, uh, that goes into this merit, uh, uh, discussion and topic. So, right, you know, one of the things that I admire, you mentioned it on your podcast several times, is that you guys, uh, when you have someone who's interested, like an aspirant, you you take them through this, you know, lengthy process and sort of vet them. And, and that's all that's all normally good. But one of the things that really impressed upon me uh, was that at I think you said it was at Palm Springs Lodge is that you have a sort of petition investment ceremony that you do for a guy when he's finally earned it. Yeah. You know, he's earned his petition and uh man that that really impressed me and and i i shared that with with my other with my wardens at the time or my my going to be wardens at the time they weren't wardens then right uh, and that was one of the things that came out of that very meeting i mentioned that practice in the meeting and what came out of it was uh that we need to start a tradition that the candidates uh present the lessons that they've learned to the lodge mm. so at at, mm. at my lodge we've started a tradition now it's not a, it's not a requirement because we can't require that you know due to grand lodge law and that's that's more than fine but at our lodge there's a tradition that after a candidate has turned in his memory work he present to the lodge at a meeting the lessons that he's learned as a entered apprentice or as a fellow craft right, or right. as a master mason because it was important to us that rote memorization was not all that is needed. There needs to be a demonstration of lessons learned, well, or at least, or at least, uh, you know, lessons for further study and further development. Well, at at that point, you're getting, you're getting even closer to what I think those mystery schools were, and um, I think what Freemasonry too was was striving to be at a time before it became what it what it became what we see. And that is, yes, you, definitely you have to demonstrate a level of understanding. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, just one symbol or a phrase that really caught your attention of, of that degree, but you can expound on it and you can tell us why. Why is this so important to you and how does this, how has this helped you understand Freemasonry so that we can ourselves see, oh yeah, you know what, they've been spending time. They've been meditating, contemplating on this, on these topics and so, therefore, you know what? Amongst us, we believe that he merits the next degree. You know, when when do we start planning for it? So, and this is gonna enrich everybody's Masonic journey, not not just his, because we learn, you know, just just as well from him as he from us. So, having said that, we've done already. What is that? Uh, fifty over fifty minutes. It's been a great conversation. The last thing I want to ask you, I mean, I want to, I, first of all, I want to acknowledge you. I want to thank you for the hard work you put into Freemasonry, the dedication, time commitment, because I understand how much that takes. Um, the hard work that it sounds like you put into your lodge as well, the, the lodge that you are a master of right now, along with your brethren, because someone needs to, someone needs to show the brothers the way sometimes. And all it takes is a little spark, and then all of them, can create and they and they see that for themselves so having having said that 
I, I acknowledge you for that. I thank you for that. And I want to ask you for any last words or comments or insights from tonight's conversation. Well, uh, thank you again for having me on, Brother Rubio. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I've listened to your podcast for so long and got so much out of it. Mm. My hope is that someone, someone is listening to this conversation and getting something out of it as well. Uh, yeah. I, I believe in what you say at the beginning of every episode. I have often told candidates or visitors to my lodge that Freemasonry is synonymous with two things, work and learning. <laughs> yeah. And if those two things don't take place, you're not practicing Freemasonry. And Freemasonry takes practice. It is not something you join. It is something you do. Very nice. And that, that Freemasonry is work. I mean, that, that, that's what it is. And a lot of our brothers at Lodge have adopted this uh, as well. So just because I have a podcast and I'm and I'm talking into the mic and it doesn't mean that all the brethren, you know, have accepted this this particular point of view, but enough of them have, you know, that have uh, helped us to gain momentum and and take the lodge in the direction that we're taking that. And so with that being said, brethren, this has been another awesome podcast. And brother, if you can just stay on, I would like to talk to you just a little bit more off uh, something special for you, all right, for... Uh, you know, waiting so long and and uh, listening, being a listener for so long. I want to share some stuff with you. And with that being said, we will close it out with what we normally close it out with. And that is our closing song. Somewhere there. There it is. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry. Feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue. Endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding. Effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom. And hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it.